0: You would be forgiven if you did not know that we are nearing the end of the week of prayer for Christian unity. Uh, It's been in our prayers, but we haven't made a lot of this. It's a a, a week-long observation uh, that is a ministry of uh, originally some Franciscans out of Garrison, New York. And it began in 1908 and has been uh, building and building over the course of, of the last century and so for more than a hundred years we've been praying for unity among Christians. The problem of course as we look for the full manifestation of our creedal confession that we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the problem of course is that we are divided over what unity means. You know, it's just one of those things. Uh, Pope Benedict in his recent proclamations and encyclicals and and even his invitation to whole groups of Anglicans to come over to, to Rome has made it clear that his hope is that Christian unity and Catholicity means that all Christians will come to visible and institutional unity. And not just that, but they'll do it in communion with Rome. It's all dressed up in very polite language, but that's the bottom line. And 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 that's one kind of unity. Others pray that unity will be expressed more as something of a federation of local churches across the world uh, who admit Christians of all stripes to join with each other around the Lord's table, telling the story in Holy Communion. And the only qualification would be that all participants have been or perhaps expressed a desire to be baptized. So is our unity to be achieved through the painstaking work of articulating doctrinal statements and then seeking intellectual assent to such statements from the faithful and so finding unity around these particular time-bound expressions of ultimate truth? Or are we first to be about telling the story of our faith as we gather around the table under the Spirit and find our understandings are shaped by a particular relationship with God and a particular relationship with neighbor in a particular time in a particular place. It's the second notion of unity for which I pray. Now, I neither judge nor criticize my friends of the Roman persuasion for their choice, and I believe them to be living out the faith in ways which must be liberating for them, or they wouldn't keep doing it. That's my assumption. That, however, is not the way given to me, and it's not the way given to most of us, and I pray for the day when Rome. Will recognize the full and faithful expressions of other communions and churches without requiring that unity mean agreement in all respects with them in order to break bread together around the table of the law. I pray this just as fervently for my friends in the Missouri Synod, the churches of Orthodoxy, and anyone else who believes that unity must first be founded on doctrinal agreement. See, I think of unity as righteousness. Unity as right relation, in which Christians, or better yet, all of humanity, offer each other the same kind of potential and freedom and respect that we are all offered by God in creation. And this freedom is not so much about license as it is about freedom from coercion by other humans, because unity necessitates peace and justice. And so, prayer for unity is prayer not for some sort of institutional norms but prayer for the full manifestation of the reign of God on earth. And it's in that sense that we can hear Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's a call for mutuality. It's a call for understanding. And it is not about power and it is not about hierarchy and it is not about coercion. The hand and the eye cannot say, I have no need of you. It's about mutuality in the same way that we need people who do church differently. It's part of how we discover who we are and what we're about. But even within our own Anglican communion, if you follow uh, uh, our inter-Nicene conflicts, we have brothers and sisters saying, exactly, I have no need of you. As long as you do this, that, or the other, I have no need of you. I won't come to the table with you. I'm not in communion with you we find ourselves speaking past each other and some leaders in the community have decided that we need a covenant an agreement by which we'll all agree not to behave in ways that might cause some people in our uh, others to refuse to come to the table in other words we're being urged to give some people in our communion power over others to define boundaries and impose discipline and that means set people in different statuses within the communion. And this can seem very sensible. You read this covenant. It's all all actually very sensible stuff until you get to the, the last bit, which is law and trying to manage anxiety about relationships that are difficult by law. And it sounds particularly sensible when it's said by very, very distinguished, very polite English people. The problem is it undermines, it undermines the project, the Anglican project, of seeking to be Catholic or universal as an expression of church that does not supplant the hard work of relationship with rules and power and so on. And those promoting the covenant see it as a proximate way to ensure the continuation of relationship among Anglicans, the basis for ecumenical conversation with other faiths that require agreement on matters of doctrine and so on and so forth. And the price of this covenant will be accusations as to who is saying to whom, I have no need of you, or in the parlance of today, who's decided to walk apart. Now, lest we roll our eyes in disgust and dismiss all this as church politics, imagining that none of this has very much to do with us, we need to remember that when we talk about right relationship, we're talking about profound spiritual work about how to engage God and neighbor, And how to manage the kind of anxiety that often flows from difference. And how to do that in the way that Jesus does it and the way that God does it with us. And that is without power and without coercion to manage that anxiety. It's not, right relationships, just not easy. It's just not easy. How do we, for example, navigate between offering hospitality to homeless people who sleep in our steps and not enabling criminal self-destructive behavior on their part. That's a a question of relationship, and it doesn't have an easy answer. Uh, When do we make room for someone else's needs and desires and set back our own? There's no rule of thumb that's going to give us clarity about that, that's going to help us manage our anxiety in every situation in which someone wants something from us. Noelle and I were talking earlier in the week about how difficult it is for us, if we wear a collar, to stop and get gas anywhere on ponds, Because sometimes, somehow, out of nowhere, people materialize in need of money. And, and it's like we're wearing a big target sign. Um, and, and sometimes, you just want gas. I'm not looking for a relationship here. (laughs) You know? How do you balance that? There's no rule of thumb, except perhaps to stay clear about who we are and what we're up to and what God's called us to do, and at the same time, sometimes stay connected with people, look them in the eye, even when we have to say something they don't want to hear. Like, no, I'm not going to help you today. It's tricky. Think about our relationships in, in Tanzania or in Brazil, where, where we run into norms and mores and ways of being in the world that are very different and, in fact, perhaps things we don't totally approve of. And, and that, can go, that can go both ways. How do we manage when we're guests? We don't want to give offense by bringing up um, you know, the roles of women, for example. And And they don't want to give offense by bringing up how dodgy they think it is that we affirm gay and lesbian people, And so, so we have to kind of work our way forward, building trust across boundaries and across differences and across oceans, to the point where we can perhaps have those conversations without giving offense. Some of you have heard me say I grew up on the phrase, "A gentleman never gives offense unintentionally.") That's uh, very, that's a very useful rule of thumb right there. Uh, there's no rule of thumb that's going to guide us at the gas station or in Africa. We have to let the relationship unfold, remaining as clear as possible about who we are while finding ways to stay connected with the other. And that can include, as I say, looking people in the eye. So we live into clarity about ourselves, recognizing, as St. Paul might put it, that not all are apostles or prophets or teachers or Roman Catholics or Anglicans, not all are invested in the kind of Catholicity we seek, not all are willing to contemplate the gifts of greater equality of opportunity between men and women, not all speak in tongues, not all interpret, but we are all part of the one humanity made in the image and likeness of God. And so the foundation for any kind of meaningful unity cannot be imperialism, and it cannot be subservience, but it must be found in the warp and woof of getting on with seeking right relationship, seeking that kind of justice and love and peace that marks righteousness, and valuing such connection as we might enjoy without capitulating our sense of self in the process. I remember... um, someone teaching about premarital preparation and he was teaching us uh, about the importance of relationship that when, when it's working even, even if it's anxiety provoking it can be fun and so he had, I'm not going to make you do it but he, had, he would have a couple stand up and stand with their shoulders to each other back to back, shoulders to each other and they'd say, you know, just, just sort of feel that. And they'd, they'd say, that was nice. And then he'd say, okay, take a step away. And they both take a step away. And it's so easy to walk away if your back is turned to the other. And he said, okay, turn around, one of you. And then he had them sort of spoon. And, and, and that, that felt good, too. And that was, he said, okay, to the person in front, he said, take a step away. And the other person became a real drag at that point. and literally. And he, he turned them around and made them do it the other way. And he said, okay, so these aren't really models of relationships. So he... He then had them look at each other and put their hands, join their fingers, and he said, okay, to the man, he said, you, you control it, and the other sort of rag doll, a bit blah, and he, then he had the other person try it, and then he said, okay, last, I want you to hold hands, look each other in the eye, and then both try and control it, and they start almost tussling and burst out laughing. It happens every time, just joy of that kind of in creative engagement, even when there's a bit of a a tussle going on, which can be anxiety-provoking. This real relationship is the start of right relationship, and it means not trying to manage the relationship with law, not trying to manage anxiety with juridical uh, solutions, but instead continuing to find a way forward. Sometimes when that relationship can be impaired, sometimes it can be mended, Sometimes it needs time. All of those things are the possibility uh, of right relationship whose source is love and whose consequence is joy. As always, let us take time to respond to good news in silence. This day, perhaps you can give thanks for a relationship that's fantastic for you, and perhaps you can give thanks for one that's challenging and resolve to look that person in the eye. Uh, even in times of anxiety. Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer, perhaps prayer for unity.